Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Midpoint. My guest today is a Football World Cup Golden Boot winner, an FA Cup winner. He made a World Cup semi-final with England and won many individual awards in a quite remarkable playing career that took him from Leicester to Nagoya via Barcelona and a few other places. His second career has been, well, almost as successful. As the presenter of Match of the Day for 24 years, he's presided over World Cups and European Championships and even Olympic Games for the BBC. He's written columns and books and is known for being a very active member of the Twitter community, not afraid to share his views. He's been married twice, has four grown-up sons and seems to spend a lot of his spare time cooking and looking after his dog, Phil. But I'm sure you've guessed it by now. It's Gary Lineker. And joining Gary who has very good hair, I have to say, and I'm not sure if he's going to be upset about this or not, is Michael Douglas. He's been on Midpoint before. He is a fantastic hairdresser and gives really good, solid takeaway advice. I'm not sure if he's got any advice for Gary or any tips that Gary needs, but we all need Michael Douglas in our life. So he's going to be popping in for a hair clinic. Right, on to Gary. Gary Lineker, welcome to the Midpoint. Thank you, Gary. Thank you for coming along. And I'm very excited to talk to you about a range of subjects. But on a Monday, which is when we're speaking, am I intruding in a weekend that you set aside? Because you work Saturdays every single week. Do you try and keep Monday to yourself? Um, it's usually fairly quiet. I always I always do the gym on Monday mornings. So I never, never miss the gym on a Monday morning. Um, I'm here with the dog and a couple of my lads are around. You never quiet miss day. the gym more than just a Monday morning because... I was yeah. lucky enough to see you in action in the gym in Qatar and you clearly work out more than once a week. Oh yeah, I work out three or four times a week and do Pilates as well. I think the older you get, the more you need to do really. Um, it's, I think it's quite easy in midlife just to, to give up when you start seeing the waistline expand a little bit. Um, but I've, I've just kind of, it's funny, I, 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 ne- I hate training. Um, I've never liked it in my entire life, but I like it even less when I miss it because I think it's important. Uh, but I do love the feeling after in the shower thinking you've actually done it. So It's deferred gratification in its finest exactly. kind of exactly. entity, uh, which obviously uh, when you're a footballer must have been a slight problem, was it, that you didn't enjoy training? That's probably where it came from, you know, out there in all weathers, freezing cold, listening to people talking rubbish. And... I think the thing with training was that the problem I didn't really enjoy it when I was a player that much is I don't think it was particularly thought out very well. I think it's probably changed now. Um, used to get, I mean, I was a striker, so I, I, it wasn't, I wanted to practice and wanted to train the things that would hone my skills. So I wanted to practice finishing every day. Um, and that sort of, I didn't mind f- um, hard fitness training. I was perfectly happy to do that. Um, but most of it was like five sides with little goals and it seemed pretty pointless. I don't know what we're getting out of it. You run around a little bit, I suppose. And then even if, even if say, you'd do a shooting session, 
they get the whole team to do it, the whole squad. So you've got 20 odd players and they'd knock it into the manager or the coach and he'd knock it back to you and then he'd have a shot. You get one shot every 10 minutes, complete waste of time. I didn't have the courage of my convictions to say to a manager or a coach um, what I felt about that until way too late in my career. And eventually I did it with Terry Venables, at, not even at Barcelona, but at Tottenham when I was kind of 29, 30. And I said, Terry, is it all right if I get a bag of balls and, and borrow a goalkeeper and actually do something that's worthwhile? And he went, yeah. And I just wish I'd, asked, I'd done that a lot earlier. Um, and then I actually quite enjoyed it. Was was it not more sophisticated? I was about to say Barcelona, no. but forgetting, of course, it was Terry who was there. So he'd brought his methods. Well, Ter Terry was actually a very, very thoughtful coach, the best I actually worked with in, in, in that sense. Um, and he was open to those ideas. But I just wish I'd communicated them early. But no, most managers will work on the shape of the team. And that's another thing that you have to do. And it's nearly always defensive work. So you'd be up there um, as a striker and just thinking, well, I'm not really doing anything. So it was actually quite boring. But I, I think training is obviously more, is more sophisticated. I mean, you wouldn't believe it, but when I played at Barcelona, the training ground was actually just a little sandy pitch on the side of the new Camp. One pitch, small pitch. And that was it. Barcelona football. I mean, now it's incredible what they've got there. So it was a different time. Yes, and clearly cemented something inside you that said exercise is good, but I don't love it very much. But you, you do it with conviction, though. You know, you clearly you're doing Pilates, which I recommend to anybody if they haven't started by the time they're 40, get on with Pilates. And you do your weights as well. And is this motivated not just by the feeling of deferred gratification, but is there a bit of vanity there as well? You're on telly oh, all the time. Oh, absolutely. Of course. Yeah, of course, there's a bit of vanity. You want to try and stay in as good shape as you can. Plus, you're on people's television screens. But I'm a sportsman. It's been part of my life. And it's habit, really. Um, but it's also healthy. There's no question about that. But yeah, there's a, there's a degree of, uh, <laughs> of vanity in there. But at the same time, it's, it's more for good health purposes, really, and trying to keep fit and strong as long as I can. And your peers. I mean, you are in the Match of the Day gang. You're the senior figure. <laughs> and you, you know, every year you're welcoming in younger and younger men who have just closer and closer to their retirement date. And um, women. Is there, and women, of course, and women. Not so yes. much on Match of the Day yet, but no. certainly on the live have and you the had, World Cups. Have you had a, and... on Match of the Day Saturday night? Have you had a female? Not, a, not a Saturday night. Um, no, no, Sunday night. No, not yet. Um, okay. I think with the, the, what we've actually done is it's always been a policy to have players on there that have played in the Premier League, as it's a Premier League show. And... Um, so I don't know whether that will change it. It may do. Having said that, I've not played in the Premier League. <laughs> yeah, before anybody, for anybody very, before very anyone eager, says, eager yeah. But I, it's, you know, you can say the, the old Division One, I suppose. But yeah. So, so these younger blokes, as they are on Saturday nights, coming on. Obviously, they're coming from you know quite close proximity to the end of their careers. Do you notice a difference in? in how they approach the kind of fitness. You know, Mike obviously has got massive muscles and that's, you know, and they seem to have got a lot bigger <laughs> since he since he stopped playing. And um, they're definitely more, I mean, look at like we're working with Ashley Williams at the World Cup. You know, they seem to be, be really into their uh, their fitness in a, in a different way to, to your generation's post-retirement kind of period. They may have changed later, but, you know, your peers, if you think about them, how they were just immediately after they retired. I, I, I think it's probably different. I don't know, really, because obviously when you finish playing, um, you go into a different world. Um, and I, I'm sure lots of players are different. Some players won't train at all, I imagine, when they, when they finish. And some players will. The ones that we have in the World Cup 
as you well know, you were in Qatar. There wasn't, there was nothing else to do anyway. So I think that's probably why most of them, the gym, um, some of them disappeared to Dubai and a bit of partying. So it doesn't seem to have changed in that sense. Players still like a, a night out and a drink. So I, I don't, I mean, obviously the main difference is when I look at the appearance, say, of footballers now and the appearance of footballers, whether it be during their career or just after their career, is that, in my day, you didn't see the, the six packs and the big chests and the big biceps and stuff because we were told, and I remember this very vividly, we were told you work on your bottom half of your body, work on you building up your thighs and your strength and your calves, but leave, don't do any upper body stuff. I mean, you do you know, sit-ups and stuff and not too much, but they said, we don't want you too bulky because it'll affect your mobility absolute nonsense and mm. as you can see now every player is ripped and cut cord. but we were never like that do you, you think know? you'd have been so, even better and even more successful if you'd had some pecs and some biceps in yes on the field yes definitely i was, I was easily knocked over you know i didn't have that upper body strength no absolutely um I, I'm, I'm not jesting with this it's um if i knew some of the things i know now Mm. and go back then but that you know hindsight it's the same it? yeah it's the same for a yeah. lot of us isn't it with a lot of our yeah. our lives and that's what's great about getting to the middle of your life isn't it you start to reflect on all of those things the thing that you seem I'm to be glad really... there's something good <laughs> yeah. I, I think i'm way past the middle of my life and i was talking it, it's really i get this awful grief from um Shearer all the time he's no spring chicken himself but he always he always uses this golf analogy he says you're on he says you're on the you're on the 16th green that's what that you know you. i'm going what 16th well, I hope they're two par fives Qatar, to come. But at the end of the tournament, I remember you saying you're on the seventeenth. You're on the seventeenth tee now. Surely not in your life. Surely he means in your. Well, does he mean your no. career? Well, I think he's on the fourteenth. I hope you'll we'll see. I we hope your remaining holes are par fives, Gary. I was not thinking very exactly, quick exactly what I said to him. <laughs> <laughs> You've been very good throughout your life in adapting. You know, your broadcasting career is phenomenally successful and very, very diverse, actually, when you look at the things you've done. But it, it overlapped, didn't it, with your playing career? And you obviously had that plan to kind of, you know, do that. But also other things, when you look in your life at kind of how you move on to, to new projects and new things, how you've, how you've taken to being somebody who's not scared to voice his opinions on Twitter or you're somebody who, you know, has decided you played loads of golf. Now you didn't, then you stop playing golf. You know, you seem to kind of, if, if you don't like something or you like something, you throw yourself into it. It looks like from the outside. I'd say that's a fair a fair assessment. I kind of try and stick to things if I feel like I'm half good at it. If I can't cope with being useless, um, but then some people say, "Why did you stick at telly then?" <laughs> but it took a while. Um, yeah, I think I think that's. A, I mean, you know, you, life. It's nice to have fresh challenges as well. I mean, I mean, especially you know nowadays, I'm kind of like podcast media magnet <laughs> where the you know things are doing well on that front and it's that's come out of kind of nowhere but this it's is your company it's just say for anybody who i mean yeah. if they're listening to this podcast the chances are they listen to other podcasts and they probably have come across two mm. of your or a few of your most successful podcasts yeah. we've got um, the rest is politics with rory stewart and alistair campbell we've got the rest is history with Tom Holland and uh, Dominic Sandbrook. This we've is your got, production have, company. Have, yeah, um, the Empire. We've got lo loads, and it's um, we kind of got in early, and it's it's become um, incredibly um, successful and and really enjoyable because it gives pleasure to people, and ultimately I think they're the best businesses that win win really. So, um, but in terms of my, my myself and going into TV, even during my playing career, I knew I knew what I wanted to do. Um, I used to look at other sports on TV. And think, 
you know, David Gow was doing cricket, Sue Barker was doing tennis, for example. And I thought, football's not got that person, that ex-sportsman that, that, that can present. Jimmy Hill did a little bit of it. And then there was Bob Wilson, but he's a goalie, that doesn't count. Um, so, <laughs> he's a big <laughs> he was great. fan. And I just thought, if I can learn to present, it will probably, it might give me some kind of longevity in the business, um, which has proven to be the case. And also, being a footballer, of course, you know that you've got to find something else in life. But not all footballers think about that, do they? No, they don't, and they, but they should. I mean, I, I think nowadays they're earning so much money that, that they could, if they're half sensible, which probably very few of them are, if they're half sensible, you, they, they should be okay. Um, but, you know, going back certainly to my era, you could never have earned enough on, on, the, on the pitch to sustain you. So you had to think about post-football life, whether that be going to, to management, but there are not that many jobs you know, you could go into journalism or media or being a pundit or, you know, sort of thing that I did. You know, but, you know, the, the really kind of damning statistics with, with footballers after they finish, I think something like the, the divorce rate, say, for example, between players of 35 to 40 is something like 70-odd percent. Wow. You know, yeah, it's mad. You, I think, um, you know, the money stops. It's kind of like they have a midlife crisis. Well, it is, but it's, mm, it comes early earlier for footballers. Mm. It, a lot earlier, yeah, because your kind of career ends... And, you know, you know, especially if you've been famous and successful and, and used to adoring fans and stuff, that stops. You know, then you get a few problems, then what money's left, you know, you, you might invest in a business and that might go, and then, then divorce happens. And, you know, it's, it's, not, as, it's not as wonderful um, as, as possibly people imagine. But, I mean, they are earning vast amounts of money now. So if they're half sensible, they should be OK. But in terms of that premature midlife crisis, do, do, you, do you look back and think you had one? Did you manage to skirt it? I mean, you obviously was things were going well on the career front. No, I'm not a crisis type. I'm a bit. I kind of um, just wander along, kind of fairly stable. I don't get too excited when things are going really about well. anything. Um, I get excited and I enjoy things. I you know just when my team occasionally wins, it's great. But <laughs> I'm talking about you know ups and downs of life. Mm-hmm. I've never suffered from any kind of like depression or don't have kind of mental health issues. So. I mean, my life's full of ups and downs, but, you know, I'm fairly stable overall. So I don't I don't think I've had the midlife crisis. Maybe it was taken to Twitter and um, airing my views a bit <laughs> too much. But you have been through two divorces. Does that indicate somebody who, because um, we're talking about adapting to things and changing and evolving, was that a reflection of you evolving? No, no, just circumstances. I, I had two very happy, successful marriages. I enjoyed, the, you know, great times with both. I've got four That's a lovely way to Michelle. describe them. Yeah, it is. I mean, people say they could have failed marriages mm. because they, no, I don't think so. I think they were really successful marriages. I think first marriage, we had 20 years together. We're still good friends. We've got four sons together. You know, we just gradually drifted apart. That's kind of normal when we, mm-hmm. you know... We met when I was kind of 21. Um, Michelle was a teenager, you know, 18. So it's it's only natural that things might change. Um, second wife was purely down to children. We weren't going to have any. She already had a daughter. I had four boys. And then her body clock started ticking. And she had the urge. And I said, yes, of course we will. But, um, but in the end, we decided, well, why don't we just stay mates? And, um, you know, we are best buddies. Um, speak most days. And, you know, see if she can find someone that really does want another child. Um, and that happened, and he's a good friend of mine now, and um, it all works. That's I know just, it's not, I know it's, it's so unusual. <laughs> well, it is, I don't know what it is, it's modern, but I tell you, it's a lot better than falling out and, <laughs> and grief. 
It is. Yeah. And it's um, it's a model to be admired. And I'm sure a lot of people would wish that they could achieve that. To... I've met one or two other people of similar in similar circumstances really? that do make it work. There's no, you know, it's, there's no reason that, particularly under the circumstances of happened, there's no one else involved, never anything like that. So... Because in the in the end we turn into when you know married life you have all the you know the the, the lust and the fun and the gate and the early on and the passion and and then it, you become mates don't you and if you don't become mates then you've got a problem so mm. so you're you're still as as good a mates as you ever were and and then she also got what she wanted which was you know a marriage and a baby with somebody who wanted to have another child was it was it being an older dad that scared you was it having four kids already. No, no, I wasn't. So I, no, I would have, I would have done it anyway. But it, ultimately, she didn't really want to, for me to do something that I didn't really want deep down, and I didn't want to stop her from doing something that she really wanted deep down. So we just came to a logical, logical and um, sensible, sensible say, relationship, sensible. and it's worked. It's worked. It's mm. really, it's great. It's great. And so we don't argue find... anymore either. <laughs> <laughs> we find you in your early 60s then, just before we start recording the podcast, asking whether the dog, the dog's Philbert, whether Philbert wants to stay or not. Is Philbert your permanent companion? The boys come and go? Is, is that how the household works? He's, he's just over there with his head on a pillow. He's fast asleep. Um, yeah. Um, well, I've, I had a dog before. I had a dog, um, Snoop, and I lost him just before um, COVID, which was a really bad time to, to lose a dog if there is any good time. But, you know, it took me a good couple of years three years to to get over that really to to go again um but then i'm kind of met philbert in <laughs> it's a long story but in in los angeles i was there on i was there on holiday in the first night i've got you know a few mates there english mates and they all came up to the hotel i stayed in to see me on the first night for drink on the rooftop and and one of them reggie brought in philbert um and he was kind of jumping all over me he was a puppy and he was and he, he was so cute and um so I said, oh, I love your dog. He said, well, it's not my dog. He said, my dog's at home. He said, but I actually foster dogs. He said, and I've just got him. So I had to bring him today because it's his first day. Um, and then I think I had about three or four Negronis and I went, I'll have him. <laughs> <laughs> and we made it happen. <laughs> we how many, he said, how... I'll ask you again in the morning. How many, yeah. but you, I've got a few friends who've had dogs from Greece and, you know, mm. kind of dogs yeah. that are Romania. A dog from LA, though, Gary Lineker's, it's, it's well, a little bit showbiz. It, it's the most expensive free dog ever. Getting him back was ridiculous. Um, to get, um, but we did, yeah, it was a bit mad. But it was kind, you know, when I think he kind of chose me. He and found just, you. I, I, I wasn't looking to get a dog in LA. I would normally have gone like, I'll get one here. But it's just we kind of met, you know how it is. I met in a bar. The rest is Love history. Him first sight. He's got lovely eyes. You looked into yeah. them with your Negronis, yeah. <laughs> Negroni eyes. But, Negroni. but you having a dog is is great for you know a certain kind of companionship. You've spoken about not having the the kind of energy to to move relationships on to another level. Let's say you did. I'm not sure how much of this was true. The article you did last year talking about yeah you like flirting, you like going out on a date, but you've not got that kind of um, massive desire libido call it what you like to move things further it was now was that a genuine statement or was that you now putting it out there so that every woman in the bar thinks you're a challenge because it could have been perceived, it perceived that way. <laughs> <laughs> i thought it was a tactical maneuver yeah. uh, no i was no all i was trying to point out is that you know you get to a certain you know age and i, I love women's company but i like women's company without necessarily 
the threat of you know because I don't want to be in a relationship really I'm quite, not at the moment that might change it might change next week might change next year might have a thunderbolt moment who knows but I, I, but to be perfectly honest I'm, I'm really happy with how things are so I'm not looking for that so what what I was trying to to say was that it's I like women's company it's like insights I flirt sometimes but at the same time I know I don't want to be in a full-time relationship therefore it be, anything beyond just like having drinks and to chat and stuff becomes difficult because then it's like right how do I end it how do I you know what I mean I, it's unless I suddenly meet someone where I want to go like oh yes this is this I want a bit more from this relationship so I think it's only fair for them that they know that situation beforehand so but then that that's, the... even that's awkward to say because that's like saying well I don't really you know so it's not yeah it's not easy but so I can't be asked it's not that's not the point but it's just that I I am in my 60s now and I'm I'm, I'm quite happy with my lot and the thought of you know someone moving in would be is it know, that is it that being on your own you've that. become quite self-contained I, th I think the, the longer I am on my own the more I actually quite enjoy it I know it's it's quite a selfish thing in some ways possibly but I share it with the dog. Yeah, but when you were he never younger... answers back there. <laughs> when you're a younger man, you've got four boys to do that to you still, haven't you? So they they can if you want any back chat, you I'm sure they'll provide oh, yeah, that. Plenty of that. There's always at least one here at any given moment. <laughs> but if when you're a younger man in your twenties, if you'd looked ahead, especially with the models that you had in your life, whether it was your father or your grandfather, if you'd looked ahead and seen yourself in your early sixties, quite happy to be on your own with the dog, would that have surprised you? Yes. Yeah, of course it would. But you do, you do, things change and they might change again. You know, I might need someone to come around on a permanent basis, change my nappies in a few years' time or something. <laughs> you, pay for, you pay for that. That's, that's all. I know, that's a joke. That is not a calling know, card to get a new girlfriend. This, this is where I am at the moment. I'm not saying this is that, how it where will be. Where you are I might, suddenly, I might suddenly get lonely or something. I don't know. So who knows? Because you don't know, you know, from the outside, you've got match of the day, right? Which is, I know from presenting it, is quite a male environment. You know, when you're in that room watching the games during the day, you do your podcasts, obviously. You've got four sons. Your dog is a boy. So where where do never took that into account? Where do your female influences come from in um, in your life right now? Well, still Danielle. I still we still as I said we talk you know, mm -hmm. most days. I've got a lot of female friends that I you know I go out for dinner with on a regular basis, and I really enjoy their company. So I, you know I'm I'm okay. You got plenty Kelly. of plenty of and women. And you're welcome to come around for a drink or bite to eat anytime you want. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not putting myself up there as the person who should be influencing <laughs> I know you. Not. I know but you're I not. but but obviously it's interesting when somebody looks like they've got quite kind of um a, a male entrenched world yeah. professionally. It's important, isn't it, to get those yeah. that balance. Socially, it's not though. Socially, no, it's not. Socially, it's you, and so in spite yeah. of the fact that you're living on your own, you do have a very active social life. Would you say that is mm. something that also? is keeping you kind of young and grounded and rooted so that you are able to work with 32 year olds and 35 year olds and it's interesting a lot of people talk about relevance in midlife and feeling depending on what profession they're in that that's that's really important that connectivity and how whether they feel relevant and it's impossible for you not to isn't it really because you are completely relevant the conversation around match of the day in spite of the proliferation of channels and where you can watch football match of the day is still very much um a spoken about tv show and as important as ever really in the football landscape so so your relevance hasn't diminished has your passion for turning up for work diminished or changed over the last few years or do you feel as enthusiastic about that no i, st I still I, I love football so uh, genuinely i you know i 
even if I'm not working, I, I just sit downstairs and watch game after game. I watch French football, I watch Italian football, I watch Spanish football, German football, not just, not just us. So I'm, I'm quite obsessive about the game and that's not diminished in the slightest. Um, and I, you know, and I enjoy what I do. It'd be much better if it was still in London, but um, <laughs> get on the train every week. Um, but apart from that... Um, You've been doing that yeah. about 12 years now, you must have been doing that. That trip, it's, it? it was 2011, wasn't it? So mm. it's exactly 12, almost 12, end of the year, wasn't it? So yeah, so yeah, it's um, it's it's it's, it's a Saturday job though, isn't it? It's like a, mm. it's like a, it's a long. But you've given, you know, you you stopped doing BT because you wanted to watch um, Leicester when they qualified to play in Europe. One of the reasons. One of one many of, reasons. Yeah, yeah. And so you're not scared to move away from. That's a you know, it's a big job. Not scared to move away from things. But at the heart of everything is still obviously match of the day. Professionally, do you give yourself any kind of right? I'm going to keep going till I'm seventy. Do you, do you know how old Lynam was when he left the BBC? I researched this the other day in, in preparation. Well, he left for TV. ITV though, didn't he? Mm. Not? Yeah, but yeah, but he didn't stay on ITV that long. But I, I was quite know. surprised. He's, would, would be about my age, wouldn't he? Well, he was no, 59. younger, fifty 59. odd. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it felt like he was at the time felt like it was almost a retirement job but 59's not well, doesn't I'd feel moving to be the main football guy at ITV no, being paid that... lots more money than he was at the beat <laughs> it doesn't well, sound it... like a retirement job to me Gabby well it's, it's it felt <laughs> like he was only coming for a few it turned out only to be a few years that he did the job actually didn't it but um, but it felt like leaving the BBC at the time even though I was at ITV felt like he decided you know to draw a line under an iconic programme and actually 59 now feels like a really young age to do that maybe that's you maybe Just you to me. Have... Well, you've pushed the boundaries a bit, I think. Yeah. I always say to people, if Gary's still going, I can keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you, hey, aren't, you're, aren't you approaching a big one? Uh, 50, yes, in a few oh, months. Oh, well yeah. done, Gary. Uh, <laughs> I never thought I'd be on telly still, Gary, yeah. at this age. So you're thanks to what? you. You're on about the 12th, 12th green, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just at halfway house, actually. Um, because house. I've got a yeah, lot I of people that live to be 100 in my family. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Let's talk about being a dad in midlife and the challenges of, I mean, four boys. I, I really, you yeah. know, take my hat off well, to they're you. they're four men now. It's four men now. But, you know, you've been through the stage where they were four teenagers. And that is, you know, for whether you're a couple together, whether you're doing it separately, that is that is a massive, a massive kind of energy sapper, isn't it? Having teenagers, they take a lot of mental space out of you. So now you've I got to... I can't remember them being teenagers, <laughs> Gabby, it's that long ago. George is 31 now. <gasps> well, you're going to be heading towards granddad territory. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, they've not made me a granddad yet. I've told them the first one who makes me a granddad is out the will. Um, <laughs> you can't say that. But I don't mean it. I'm actually be quite, you know, obviously it's a joke. But yeah, it's it, different ages, different concerns. I think when, you, when you've got young kids, it's like everything's a worry. Um, and then you think, well, when they get older, it'll be, it'll be fine. They'll be, and then you start, then it's like, oh, crikey, what? Are they going to go to university? Which university? 
what's their job going to be? How the hell are they going to afford somewhere to live? And it's just fewer problems, but bigger problems, I think, as they get older. But the nice thing now is they're all adults. Um, I'm, I'm proud of them because they're good people, which is the most important thing, uh, very likable. They're all working. And they all get on really well together and support each other, which is is a lovely thing. So I'm, I'm really enjoying this stage. And they come around a lot because mainly because they like my cooking. Let's talk um, about your cooking, actually. Yes, <laughs> can we? Because um, obviously we talked about exercise being partly fueled by wanting to feel great, but also a bit of vanity food. You're a brilliant cook, it would appear, on your Instagram. Is that um, is it health conscious, the cooking? I mean, Not really. Um, although it does help when you know what you you're eat putting potatoes. into the food. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> potato. Uh, potatoes all my life. It's the greatest, Love a crisp. It's Love the a greatest crisp. vegetable. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, so... Yeah, cooking came along. I'd never cooked in my life until um, I got divorced again. And I got sick of ordering takeaways and going sitting in restaurants, either with, fine with people, but often on my own. And I thought, come on, get a grip, learn to cook. Best thing I did. Um, just love it. Self-taught? Find it completely self-taught, lots of books and then online and then different things. And now I kind of know what I'm doing, I think. But yeah, so I, I, I know typical of me that if I do something, I need to, if I work out that I can't do it, then I give up. But then I actually thought, actually, yeah, I can do this. Because ultimately cooking really, it's about produce preparation and, and, and being focused on it. And then you can't really go that wrong. So, but I, it became a real passion. And that was, that was only what, seven years ago? Um, I mean, say the COVID thing, the lockdown, for example, I'd, I'd cook three meals a day in my kitchen and I was the only one here for like, you know, when it was complete lockdown. I was the only one here for a few months and I'd cook three meals a day and I'd only eat one of them, but I'd do it for practice and then I'd put them in a the freezer and then, and then it had a bit so much in the freezer because I kept cooking day after day just to practice, which is a bit mad, but. But no, it, it's I mean, worth it's, it now. It's clearly turned you into a very decent chef. So you must have been asked to do things like Master Chef. Uh, but yeah, I've been asked all sorts of ideas, uh, cookbooks and stuff. But I, you know, I don't see, I'm not a chef. I am a keen cook. And I'm a good cook. I know that. But I'm, you know, but it's like being, it's like if you're playing golf and you're three, four handicap golfer and then people saying, oh, you should be a pro. The difference is enormous. So I understand that. And I've, it's funny, I remember somebody, I'd posted some picture of some food or something and I and somebody said oh you really should do a book and I'd re I did a quote to reply saying listen I'm not a chef I'm a cook I'm a f I, I, I love cooking but I if I did a book I'd feel a fraud you know a recipe book and and the first two I think the first two likes I got were from Jamie Oliver <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I swear, it was, there was one of the another chef anyway and I just thought mm, they're maybe, telling you something mm, they're telling me something <laughs> yeah they're probably sick of celebrities doing books you know <laughs> the non-chefs let's put it that way doing I think it was Nigella actually oh, the, really? the other one if I remember rightly and I thought mm, yeah okay I, I think that's it. you know it's very sage of all of you actually to yeah. know to know it's a passion not necessarily yeah, a career yeah. or hobby because I've been um, yeah, I mean I loved golf chef. as well but I'm not going to go I'm not no. going to turn pro. There's <laughs> difference between playing at Wentworth and the PGA, isn't there? And and uh, doing you know kind of the tour, yeah. going on the tour yeah. and deciding that's what that's what <laughs> exactly. you are. Um, exactly. That, and also I think it would probably end up taking your enjoyment away a little bit because suddenly it becomes yeah, something people, that people say why don't you go on Celebrity MasterChef? I think it, why would I want to go on that? I know how recorded TV works. It takes forever. You dish up. You do this. Thing, you're under pressure you're giving loads of stuff and then they serve it and it's all cold I've, I've been a judge on one and with, uh, by the time you eat the thing it's freezing because 
the moving the cameras and stuff. So I know how telly works. So I go, no, thank you. I just like that, cooking. I just like cooking for people. Is that why you've never done any reality telly? Isn't, well, you no, must have been asked to do There strictly. are a million reasons. Well, I, I mean, well, I've got a Saturday job, Gabby, as you well yeah, know. Yeah, I know, I know. That, that, one, that one precludes it. But, yeah, um, I've got no interest in Strictly. I, 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 I shouldn't say this, but I, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan. It's, it's like when you're watching something on TV, I want to watch people be really good at something. I don't want to see people that, like amateurs. I don't, want to watch an amateur fo- I don't want to watch an amateur football match, really, if I'm honest. I, I don't get it. Don't you not, and I just don't like get journey. that show. What about the journey? But I wouldn't go, and I hate dancing. I can't dance anyway. That, that's, that's what I'm well, actually that's getting down going back to your That's very the first, real reason. Yeah, going back to your very, <laughs> one of your very first answers, which yeah. was if I can't do something well, I don't want to do it. I yeah. think that's probably <laughs> the reason, isn't it? So Twitter, it you do very well. You are um, very busy on Twitter. What, what's your Twitter following now? About 28 million or something? <laughs> Some, no, you've got millions and millions eight of followers. And half, eight, eight and a half million. I think you're, um, when people say to you and other people, um, I mean, I've had it said to me, stick to football or stick to stick to it reminds me of get back in the kitchen which is what i used to get yeah. quite a lot oh, on, on social you? media yeah. yeah get back in the kitchen which is bizarre because i, I wouldn't can, mind that and yeah i was gonna say it's fine i will get back in the kitchen but it's not but, but people that, say stick to football when they disagree with you yeah that's funny isn't it <laughs> you talk about lots of different things on your on your social media and you said earlier about being braver when you were a younger footballer not being brave enough to say to a coach this session's boring and a lot of women particularly on this podcast talk about getting to the point in their midlife where they just don't give a shit and they don't care what people think about them. Do you think the younger you, if social media was a thing as a player, because there are some players who talk about other things than football or social yeah, media, would oh, you have been one of those? I don't know. I, I think would I you like that outlet? I think I, I think I probably would have been. I think it would be difficult for footballers as well on social media now because obviously if you, don't, if you have a bad game, you, you're going you're gonna to get so much abuse. I think I'd probably adopt the same tactic that I did during my playing days in terms of the written media and the newspapers. I, if I had a good game on Saturday, I'd buy all the Sundays and the Mondays reading the match reports. And if I played shit, I wouldn't buy any of them, wouldn't read any. And I think I'd do the same thing if I were a player now on social media. If I played really well, I'd be straight on there. Whoa, look at that. He says this, I'm brilliant, I'm brilliant. But if you play, if you play crap, then just don't look at it for a week at all. So I don't know how I would handle social media. I mean, I've been immensely proud of a lot of the footballers and the way they've used their enormous platforms for good, you know, like Marcus Rashford with, with School Meals and Jordan Henderson getting the captains together during the COVID thing. Raheem Sterling you know, is Raheem also. Raheem Sterling with racism mm. and et cetera. So I think they've been, they've been brilliant and brave. It's not easy to do, mm. you know. But it's not um, because it's, you're sticking no. your head above the parapet, aren't you? And, you know, in the likes of Marcus Rashford, getting politicians actually talking about him in Parliament in a negative way as well, which is, you know, considering how what dare he's... You, how dare you try to get to get us to feed the children? And I can't, I can't remember the politician who actually then took some kind of joy in him not having a, a very good run of play, you know, yeah. when he wasn't scoring. He's having a very good run of play now. But he's, having a, sure. yeah, he's, he's proving right now you can score lots of goals and help to feed children. So do you think, you know, you're active, as I say, you're interested in, in things that are happening in the world. Are you worried at all about what's going on on social media in terms of how it, it disseminates arguments down into kind of tiny sound bites, though? And, and actually people's kind of conversation doesn't always get amplified beyond those platforms, does it? We're living in this kind of very quick yeah, soundbitey world. Yeah, it's, very, it's very strange and, and, and slightly dangerous. I think, it's, you know, there's a lot of good things. You know, you can, you can you know, push good causes, promote things. 
Um, there is a negative downside. Um, I don't know how how that is, how you're able to manage that particularly. But um, yeah, there's pros and cons to it. There's no question about that. But I think you've got to be got to be quite made of stern stuff to deal with with some of it that, that's for sure um or just don't don't read any i mean i don't read it, the, any of the um notifications to me unless i'm um unless i'm trying just to do one of those things where you wind people up with a bit of irony just to see how many react and actually think you mean it um but by and large i i, I only probably see the ones that i follow so if they reply to me, I'll see it on that, you know, that line of notification. Mm-hmm. I don't bother with the other one. A, it would take hours to look at them and, and B, most of them are, you know, some of them can be quite nasty. And why would you want to read that? And Has they actually helped? ruin it for everyone else. Yeah, they do. They do. Has it yeah. helped, do you think, people to become more politically interested while it also has its shortcomings? Mm. Possibly. I think it's um, it has with me. I mean, I've always been interested in politics, but I think I... You know, whereas before, what would you do? You'd follow it on a newspaper and you get the news a little bit, but like a day late, you watch it on the news at night or something like that. Now you get immediate news. And I love that aspect of Twitter uh, and especially the political side of things. And it's I think it's engaged my interest um, in in politics even more than it was. So not, not that's necessarily a good thing, particularly with um, what's been going on the last few years, but interesting times. Would you, in another, well, you still could, you're 62, perhaps see yourself being an active political candidate? No, no, no. no, no Have you been so, asked? No, um, no. The thought of going like being, you know, going up to people everywhere you go and making small talk and shaking hands and holding babies and photo opportunities. No. So no. you're more I'd of an... I'd be bored, rigid. You're an agent provocateur then, more than, a, than somebody who kind of wants to go in and go into the system and try and no, change I don't want to go system. into the system. I, you know, I, I just have opinions about certain things. I think, like most people, you know, you we we want good government, and we, you know, there are aspects that we we will speak out about, particularly um, if they're one of great concern. I mean, um, particularly for me, the refugee thing. I've been, you know, that's one of, you know, we we'll, I think we will have our missions and and stuff like that. So that's been quite important. And climate change is another thing I speak out on, but. In terms of overall politics and um, getting and involved, both no. those things, you've kind of put your money where your mouth is. You've had refugees come and stay with you, and from what I've seen, you like I think one newspaper tried to, to put an old picture of you with a quite gas guzzling car, and actually got it wrong because you you changed your car. Yeah, so that was a reaction to climate change, not a reaction to somebody pointing that out. So you, you so you do act upon those things with regards to refugees and that experience. Did you feel the need that you? You kind of almost had to talk about it, that that you were doing this just to you know to shut people up. Who no, it never crossed my mind. But it was one thing that people used to say because obviously I I spoke out about. I mean I just had a, a, enormous empathy for people who were forced. Imagine the circumstances that force you to to leave your home because it's unlivable or it's dangerous or your family's going to get killed or or because of some disaster or something. And then crossing continents and country after country and eventually getting to... And then people treat you like dirt. And um, and I just thought, how, you know, how can you not have some kind of sympathy? Imagine if it were us and suddenly London was... It was like the Blitz again and suddenly you had to flee and go somewhere else. 
I mean, what kind of circumstances would force you to have to do something like that? And how you could not feel, you know, sorry for them? Obviously, it's not an easy situation. You can't have everybody in. We all know that. But we, you know, we need to do our bit um, and and do our fair share. And and then what happened was, I, I used, whenever I tweeted any kind of supportive thing for, you know, any sort of refugee charity or refugee situation, there were always tweets under... Well, you wouldn't have them in your house, would you? And I thought, well, you, nobody's asking them to live in your house either. I mean, but, so I used to think this is, is silly. And then it happened again, another tweet. And then underneath the tweet, I saw somebody said, Gary, actually, you might be interested in this. And it was it was a link to a charity called Refugees at Home. And I thought, oh, I'll have a look at that. And I, and I clicked on it and it, it, it said, we put up, um, refugees in our houses there's hundreds and well there's a few thousand people do it um, would you be interested in helping blah 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 could you do, you know long term middle term or, or or like a foster service so I ticked the foster service thing thinking actually why not I said I've got you know I've got a house here it's just me and the dog mostly um, and I thought I'll, I'll, I'll see and then they come around and if you get interviewed just make sure you're a reasonable human being I guess and um, and and it happened. I've you know I've, I've hosted a, a a couple of refugees now at different times, and it was an absolutely incredibly positive experience. And particularly, I think for my for my sons, um, because I think it gave them a real perspective. You know, they've had a blessed life in many ways. You know, they've um, for obvious reasons. So, and I think it was important. And you know, and to to help a little bit and have someone here, it was actually. Good to have someone to cook for as well. <laughs> and good, a good company. Did you enjoy learning? Amazing, amazing company. They're both lovely young men um, and with incredible what are they doing stories. Now? One of them is still studying to be a lawyer. And the other one um, is um, studying to be a rocket scientist. <laughs> yes, I mean it, a rocket scientist. Um, he was super smart, incredible story um, that I can't tell. But... Um, and he ended up here, and and but, they got their they got their asylum status, did they? Is that how it the, the story? Eventually, yeah, but yeah. they were put through the mill before they got it. I mean, mm. it's a dreadful experience for them. He was the the, the second one I had was like two years going around um, the various home office places, and and including the one where I can't remember the name down in Kent, which was recently in the news, and he said it was just truly horrendous it was like you know worse than the prison that he was actually locked in in his own country before he escaped changing attack completely gary i'm delighted to say that this week's expert is michael douglas and michael is um, a hairdresser extraordinaire who has been on the podcast before and was a massive success good to Hello see you there. you're all right yeah nice to see you too good to see you. have you met gary before I've not met Gary before, no. I mean, I've seen him a lot on the telly. How are you doing, Gary? You all right? I'm doing great. And I'm particularly impressed um, with your hair, as I should be. It's really amazing. <laughs> it, despite the fact you've got full headphones on, it still looks amazing. It's yeah, extraordinary effort. This, this receding hairline is worrying me slightly, though. You know, it's just getting a bit 
Every year mine's it goes getting, back a little bit. Mine's further. getting slightly higher too. Look, we're, <laughs> I think we're matching foreheads. Well, I, I did say to Gary before you came on, Michael, I said maybe that, you know, with Gary having such a good head of hair, he might not uh, appreciate that I got a hair expert on this as if I was trying to kind of, you know, infer something. But he did say, well, you know, it's changing, it's changing a little bit. And we talked about women's hair before, changing, you know, seasonally and women losing hair in midlife. Gary has got a good head of hair, but um, is there anything he can do to keep it, you know, looking as thick, healthy, lustrous, <laughs> and shiny uh, so he can do many many more seasons of match of the day the question is do you do anything already do you like put any lotions or potions on your head I, I do a bit of that what's it um, like those foam things I've rubbing oh like minoxidil yeah I've done that for I've done that for a few years because somebody said to me once it just can't make it's not going to grow but it maintains what you perhaps got I don't know is that, does, is that a good thing it is a good thing and it is the one thing that works so it's called minoxidil 5% and it's in all sorts of products like Regain and stuff like that it keeps what you've got and it can actually start to produce new growth as well so Men and women can use this all the time, but um, women always think this product's just for men because it's usually sold as a men's product. Oh, is that right, Michael? So women can use this? Women can use it as well. And if you're over 30, uh, 5% is the the dose you should use. But it does wonders for for people uh, with thinning hair and hair that's shedding a lot. And you can just use it periodically until your your own hair starts to recover. Certainly with women, they often don't go on to lose their hair, but they go through a period of maybe six months or so where it sheds a lot and they can use minoxidil just to kind of see them through that period and then stop using it and bingo. So uh, do men go through the seasonal losing of hair? Like you explained to me before that kind of December is a time when women's hair seems to kind of drop out and starts to come back again just sometime in the kind of spring. Do men have that as well? Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty much the same process. So your hair goes through a cycle of shedding uh, and growing and when that cycle comes out of kilter which you can do every so often where you end up shedding a lot more than you are growing and it gets a bit thinner but you you usually find if you just sit tight it starts to even itself out as the year goes on a lot of people panic and then do all sorts of crazy things buy lots of weird shampoos and stuff like that but actually if you just balance the diet a little bit and keep your lifestyle pretty pretty centered you know you, you find that it'll all start to recover uh, but yeah, men suffer exactly the same as, as women with hair loss. And um, Gary has, you know, adopted and, and gone for Silver Fox. He's not somebody who's... Uh, who's I must yeah. admit that, Gary, there is a degree of truth in that because I was looking in the mirror the other day and I'm sure I saw a grey hair. <laughs> and I thought, oh no, it's happening, finally. <laughs> when your hair changed colour... Did Gary? Did you? Were you kind of going? Oh, I, 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 when I was with Danielle, she, she asked me. She got me to dye it once, years and years ago. So about ten years ago. Oh my God! It was just they overdid it, and I just looked. I was going, oh what? No, this is a nightmare. You know, it's like that horrible dark color that it always looks bad with most mm. men. And I just I spent about three hours in the shower brushing hair, brushing hair <laughs> trying to get it out because I'd match of the day. Oh dear God! So, so did they know when never you got again. to match the day? Could they tell? Um, I can't remember. I think it, by that stage I managed to get most it out. I don't know. It's um, very hard. But for I men. knew. I knew. Well, it's very hard, I think, for men, Michael, isn't it, to get if they are going to dye it to get the colour because it seems to always look like the face always looks like it's yeah. not matching. No, <laughs> yes. it doesn't look right, does it? It looks red or. Yeah, McCart- really McCartney black. did it for a while, didn't he? And it just looked like he had a, a wig on. Really, it's a very peculiar thing. But brown is made up. If you think about artificial brown like paint, it's made up mm. of red, uh, yellow, and blue. Mm. Uh, so that's what makes brown. And what as that colour starts to fade out, a lot of the blue goes, and you're left with a kind of red and orangey, mm. an orangey tinge to it. 
And it's really hard to get away from it. If, if the men are, are out there and they want to colour the hair, just make sure you use an ash colour. It's just got a lot less orange in it and it's more likely to look natural. I, I'm Very fortunately, I've not gone grey uh, at all yet. I'm 50 this year. But I think because I've not gone grey, uh, I can trick people into looking reasonably young. Yeah, your hairline, I mean, my, Kenny's, my husband's got still got a lot of hair, but his hairline, you know, like the widow's peak has definitely um, shifted. And we do have these conversations about whether or not he should get a hair implant just for his widow's peak. Yeah, lot, <laughs> so lots, just of people, here. lots of people do that. You know, they just bring it forward ever so slightly. The danger is you bring it too far forward. But you go to Turkey, it's probably about three or four grand. And it, it is amazingly good what they can do these days. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't discourage people from doing that. Lots of lots of blokes have done it and it works really well. My only question about that, though, is if you had like a bit of a hair implant here, right, say on Gary's head, say you just had a little bit there, Gary, right, and then he lost the rest of it later, would he end up with just a little kind of devil's horn of hair? Yeah, would that probably, be wouldn't he? I don't you know. could, but uh, yeah. the thing is you tend to lose hair uh, as you get older really slowly, so it's highly unlikely that. The Wayne Rooney situation was the one that interested me the most because he had a hair transplant when he was very young. And the sign of that usually is that as you, if you lose it young, you lose a lot. So as he gets older, I think you might start to see, you know, more hair here and less hair here. He'll just get it done again, won't he? Possibly, but you've run out of hair to do it with. You know, you're constantly taking hair from here to put it in here. So I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what he looks like in 10 years' time, but... um, It might not look that good. (laughs) Most of my life, I've like aspired to be older men because I think I know I'm going to get older. So I'm always looking for people who look good older. There was a guy on the train the other day who must have been in his 70s. And I had to say to him, I said, excuse me, I think you look fantastic, you know. He was like, really? I was like, yeah, yeah. What was his response? Yeah. He, he, was, a bit, he was a bit shocked, but I did think he looked yeah. really, really lean, well-dressed well and a really great hair and good skin and everything. And I thought, okay, I've I got to stop worrying. Paul Weller's another one of mine. I love Paul Weller. And he's about 64, 65. And I was thinking, if I can look like that at 64, 65, I'm going to stop worrying about aging, you know. But you're, you're so, picking but, people who've got good heads of hair as well. So those listening who are either married to or are of the um, less hirsute variety, let's think Alan Shearer type hair. Alan Shearer. He may, he may only be on the 14th, but he looks like he's on the 18th. <laughs> um, but... He has gone with it, as a lot of men do when they're losing hair, and they go for the... I mean, the one man who people say should perhaps do that is Prince William. He should shave it off. He's got great teeth as Prince William. Yes, um, he has. Good and smile. I, I, say, I say to a lot of people who are worried about losing their hair, and it doesn't look like there's anything they can do, it's just get a really good orthodontist. Because if you've got great teeth, it doesn't matter how bad your hair is or how bald you are or anything. You know, people are so mesmerised by your smile, like you're done. But, um, That's such good advice, got, Michael. Yeah, if you've yeah, you not got hair, just get great teeth. <laughs> I think on that note, <laughs> <laughs> Michael, I always love having you on Midpoint. Please come back Sort again your gnashes soon. out and you're all right. <laughs> I think that's fantastic advice. <laughs> Take care. Thanks. Cheers, Michael. Nice to meet you, Gary. Nice to Take sort care. of meet you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. I wanted Michael to come on and talk about hair. I feel like I've I've arranged a kind of like it was like a fan meet. <laughs> I feel like he he was very very happy to meet. I you just guys. want to ask you a question here, Gary. There's obviously a reason why you you, you asked for Michael to come on. Is it what what's your problem with my bonnet? No, I genuinely wanted Michael to come on a different episode because I knew you'd think that I was I was picking on your hair. Um, yeah. But as it turned out, you've just been kind of your ego has been flattered and boosted. He's yeah, met well, somebody he clearly admires. So. Everybody's happy with that. You mentioned dyeing your hair at once, as which we should just put the caveat in there. You'd never tweak any tweakments. Do you like a no. facial? 
Oh, I don't mind a bit of pampering, massage, facial. I quite like a facial and a head or head massage. Mm. I quite, I, ooh, but I you wouldn't, you wouldn't go full face. I mean, you spend a lot of time in LA. You wouldn't go face lift. Face. Did you yeah, say? Go, yeah, God no. Oh no, no. Why? <laughs> you spend a lot of time no. in LA. You must have met some decent no. um, cosmetic no. surgeons no, over I there. Don't, I don't. I don't. That's another thing. I did Botox once as well years ago, and oh, I oh, just looked ridiculous. Couldn't raise my eyebrows. It was like when on telly, and it was like you know you give it a little look at the camera, and you go, uh, it's not moving. Des Lynham wouldn't have had a career, would he? If he'd had Botox, no, the, the one eyebrow, the, eyebrow. the ra- raise yeah. the eyebrow. Yeah. Gary, it's been so lovely spending time in your company and chatting all things to do with midlife and where you are now. And good to hear that everything, you know, just feels like you've got it all sorted. Just thrilled, really, that you, you're still claiming I'm in, I'm in midlife and not old age. <laughs> so. I am eventually going to have a podcast called Endpoint. Hopefully, you can come <laughs> on that as well. <laughs> My thanks to Gary for such a long and interesting and honest chat. I may take him up on his invite to come over as long as he's going to cook. And I loved how open he was about his libido, being happy in his own company and how he once tried dyeing his hair. I have to say I didn't notice, uh, he says, with disastrous consequences, but obviously he managed to rectify it before match of the day. And speaking of hair, my thanks to Michael Douglas as well for joining us and discussing how to keep those luscious locks looking strong and sprightly in later life. I've got loads of interesting people coming up on this series so make sure you follow and subscribe to the midpoint to never miss an episode join me again on wednesday when i'll be chatting to this lady yeah when i'm on my own or in a in a sort of situation i go you're right it's all right it's fine all right just a day where i wake up and things are sad or you know like we all do i'm just trying to be kinder to myself and i do do that i do talk to myself You'll probably be aware already that we're going to be mixing things up a little bit for this series. We're going to bring in some slightly different episodes. Some weeks we'll take a deep dive into a certain subject with an expert and others we're going to put some of your family and relationship dilemmas to my husband Kenny and maybe even to Reuben and Lois. We'll see how it goes. And do let us know if there's a particular topic or subject that you would like us to cover. You can post on our Facebook group, The Midpointers, or you can message me on Instagram at Gabby Logan. Thank you so much to Spiritland Productions for putting The Midpoint together. And of course, to you for listening. I'll see you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.